اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم ربي اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والفعل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير يا وهاب يا وهاب يا وهاب يا فتاح يا فتاح يا فتاح يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار اما بعد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى ولما توجهت القاء مدين قال عسى ربي ان يهديني سواء السبيل ولما ورد ماء مدين وجد عليه امه من الناس يسقون ووجد من دونهم امراتين تذودان قال ما خطبكما قال تعالى نسقي حتى يصدر الرعاء وابونا شيخ كبير فسقى لهما ثم تولى الى الظل فقال رب اني لما انزلت الي من خير فقير فجاءته احداهما تمشي على استحياء قالت ان ابي يدعوك ليجزيك اجر ما سقيت لنا فلما جاءه وقص عليه القصص قال لا تخف نجوت من القوم الظالمين <coughs> Beloved brothers and sisters and dear listeners and the guests of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh We are now in our uh, the fifth dars of Surah Al-Qasas and uh, we are last week discussed on how Musa alayhi salatu salam after a mistake was committed in trying to, while trying to assist a fellow uh, Israelite ended up um, becoming a means of one of the Coptics dying and the fear was uh, fear was spread uh, in his heart that they will come after him and they will uh, kill him and that was there the fear and then someone came and actually told him that they are plotting to kill you so you should run and I, with the last few minutes of our dars last week I spoke about the fact that how uh, Musa alayhi salam took heed Prophet Musa took heed from the advice of this individual who came and told him that you should leave. It's not safe for you to stay here. And he did not uh, say that I haven't done anything wrong, so why should I leave? Instead, he realized that it's safety if he wants to do what he's meant to do, which is the work of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and connecting people with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to, to be able to live a successful life both in this world and the next then he has to make a decision that is reasonable and that's smart. And right now, the most reasonable decision is he needs to pack up and leave. And so, some, many times, we, I talked about the fact that many times, we'll be in situations where we're not wrong. But the prudent thing is to simply walk away. Uh, and instead of demanding that I want to make sure it should be like this and should be like that. I mean, one common mistake we see today nowadays um, is you know this is a touchy topic again, but you see when there's stops that happen in traffic stops, and um, there's been way too many cases, way too many cases of where a simple traffic stop ends up becoming a means of someone losing their life, and it's so heartbreaking to see that. Um, and they, you know, um, you'll see sometimes the videos are there, etc. There are different cases. We're nowhere judging all the cases here. But you will see also there will be certain instances where a person will simply say, well, I never did anything wrong. There's, by law, I don't have to do this. By law, I don't have to do that. And he may be correct. 
But what happens is this type of so-called sticking to the law and I know my rights may end up costing a person's life. And it's seriously not worth it. It's seriously not worth it. Uh, for most people, if you got nothing to, you know, to hide at that moment, just say, okay, fine. Just let me be cordial. And let's, let's make this thing um, quick and easy. Um, if it's just a simple traffic stop, fine. Yes, do I have a right to say I don't want to show my license and show my ID and I don't need to come out? And you, you may have a right for all that stuff. But things may escalate. And that escalation may end up in the long term becoming very harmful for the person. And so that's, a, for example, a lesson learned. That we need to learn how to de-escalate the situation and do things uh, which are in the long term more prudent. Instead of acting on our knee-jerk reaction and say, well, it's my right. That might not be necessarily the most smartest move to do. So Musa alayhi salam could have said, it's my right, this is my town, why should I leave from here? I was actually raised in the palace of the Pharaoh. For what? Why do I need to leave? I didn't do anything wrong. This guy asked me for help, I assisted him, he was a weakling, he ended up dying. I didn't kill him. But we know that you're living in an era now where Pharaoh is just out there to try to kill everyone and he's a super oppressive regime. He'll use this excuse to to lock you up at the least or more than, more than likely also kill him. So he took that advice and moved on. And of course, that's what we're going to talk about, how he moved on today. And it was, just a, it was a matter of years, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought him back as a victor. And he was able to bring nur and guidance and, and light to uh, the palace of Pharaoh. Some chose not to accept it, that's up to them. But Musa alayhi salam brought it back. And so that's one point we can learn from the last ayah that we covered last week. And when he turned his face towards the land of Madian. So this is uh, all the way in the north of the Arabian Peninsula, far away from Egypt. According to some, um, it's almost 2,500 kilometers from the, the area where Musa was, all the way to the, the journey, all the way to the north, up north of the Arabian Peninsula. And Musa was not planning to walk through the desert because this would be something that would uh, end up becoming fatal for him. Thousands of, or hundreds of kilometers or thousands of kilometers uh, walking through the desert, which would uh, definitely, he wouldn't make it out. There aren't enough, weren't enough oases, weren't enough places to, towns, etc. So he wanted to go walk on, uh, on the sides of the River Nile. So that made the journey even longer. And what's happening in Madian? Well, all the way up north that far, Fir'aun's kingdom didn't go all the way out there. The idea was to run away from uh, the, the control of Fir'aun's, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the control of Fir'aun and his jurisdiction. And subhanAllah, that's how this world works. Even if you're the Fir'aun, <laughs> your jurisdiction ends somewhere. And not only based on land mass, it ends somewhere, but also, if you may remember the story from Surah Taha, where the magicians who worked for the Pharaoh, when they saw the miracle of Musa salam's staff turning into a huge, massive serpent and eating up and swallowing up all the small fake snakes that the magicians had made, they immediately renounced their belief in Fir'aun and said, we will be, we believe in the Lord of Musa and Harun. We began to become Muslims. So Fir'aun obviously got very angry because his own employees and his own soldiers are turning against him. It's mutiny. And that's, he's not going to take that lightly. So he got really upset 
And so he warned them. And he said, if you do this, then I'm going to kill you. But I'm not going to just do a, a quick you know, a, a shot to the head. He said, I'm going to I'm going to amputate without any anesthesia, of course. Amputate with saws your one leg and the opposite hand. So right leg, left foot, or left leg, or left hand, left arm, and right leg. Just for pure torture. And then, I'm going to crucify you. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you hang on from the trees. And then you will most definitely know who has a capacity of giving a punishment that is more severe and more longer lasting. It's the so-called fake God of Musa, or myself. That's what he threatened them. And you know these are not empty threats. This is a man who has a proven record of killing thousands. He's, as soon as he says it, it happens. As soon as he asks for it, it's done. So these are not empty threats. And who would know this better than the people who've been working for him for years, the magicians. So they knew what they were going for. They knew that if we stayed steadfast, remain steadfast on this faith, we're gone. And it's not going to be a quick death. It's going to be a very painful, torturous death. Look at the answer that the magicians gave. We will never give preference to you. We will never give you preference over that which Musa has brought to us in terms of clear signs. How could we deny it? Musa just had his serpent eat up all of our serpents. This is not magic. We have magic. What he's got is not sorcery. This is something else. We're in the field. We're in the trenches. We know what he's brought is something far superior than we've ever seen. And so it is definitely truth because we know we're faking it. This is all falsehood. We're experts at it. We know our product. That product that he brought is not fake. So that's bayinat, clear proof. After we have seen the clear proof, how can we ever listen to you, O Fir'aun? No matter how many threats you're giving us, and we know you mean it, but we can never listen to what you've got to say and disregard what Musa has brought because we are seekers of the truth. That's one beautiful thing about them. They're seekers of the truth. And that's something may Allah give all of us. That we need to be seekers of the truth no matter who we are, where we are. And that's why in this horrible situation that we see happening for the past two months in Palestine, you'll see so many people accepting Islam as well. Who are they? Many of them were actually <clears throat> very much absolutely against um, generally Muslims or in this case against the plight of the Palestinians. But they were seekers of the truth. And once they started reading, once they started removing the lens and the veil from their eyes that was placed, they started saying, no, 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 this, can't, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. So we're seeing all over the world, so many people, subhanAllah, accepting Islam. Many of them were extremely antagonistic to the, uh, the, um, uh, you know, the plight of the Palestinians before. But they've turned around. Because they are seekers of the truth. And when a person is seeking the truth, then sooner or later, inshallah, he'll find it. But if a person is dead strong on his ways and says, whether it's truth or falsehood, I don't care. This is it. This is my lifestyle. Then unfortunately, the chance of guidance for that person is less. So they said to Fir'aun, 
And we will never give you preference over who created us. Fatarana, who created us, Allah. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Why are we so confident in telling us, torture us all you want? Why? This is what I was talking about here. Jurisdiction of even the biggest pharaoh of the world is not only limited by land mass or other things, but beyond that it's also limited in terms of the duration. That duration is only as long as you have the soul in your body. This life on earth. And so they told him, إِنَّمَا تَقْضِي هَذِهِ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا All you can do is you can make decisions that affect us in this worldly life. But what about as soon as we die, then what? All of the Pharaoh's jurisdiction, done. And the jurisdiction of pure, لِلَّهِ الْوَاحِدِ الْقَهَارِ Only one and powerful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's jurisdiction remains. هُنَالِكَ الْوَلَايَةُ لِلَّهِ الْحَقِّ Over there in the day of judgment and the life of the hereafter and the life of the barzakh, the life between this world and the next, it will become absolutely apparent that no one is in charge besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why would I give preference to what you're, you're telling me over the Lord who has full control over the life of the hereafter as well as the life immediately as soon as my soul comes out. What an amazing lesson for all of us. That every single vulm and, and oppression that we see in this world and all of the so-called superpowers of the world of the past, the present, and the future they only, only are allowed by Allah to control certain portions of the world certain portions of the sea, etc. And as um, technology and satellites and drones and AI and everything else is becoming stronger and stronger, yes, that when the Dajjal come in 40 days, he'll take over the whole world. That's the future. The future will be that the superpowers will have full control of the globe. إِلَّا Allah, Whoever is by the mercy of Allah allowed to be under the radar. But generally speaking, whoever's, you know, probably we could say it, whoever's on the internet, whoever's got a phone, whoever's got a bank account, whoever has any of these things, will all be, tr- be part of that one system. It'll be really hard to so-called live off the grid. And besides that, everyone else will be starting to think in a certain manner. And starting to act in a certain manner, starting to talk in a certain manner. Listen, you know, you see that happening right now. Just the etiquettes, the akhlaq, the character, uh, that has changed within the past generation to this generation across the board, across all cultures, wherever there's internet, wherever there is internet, you'll see the way children treat their parents is vastly different from the previous generation. The way husbands treat their wives, wives treat their husbands, vastly different from the previous generation. Everything, everything has changed. And you're talking about without us realizing, we're breathing in a new culture. We are watching and accepting and absorbing a new culture which doesn't differentiate between Muslim and non-Muslim. Across the globe, people are changing without them realizing. That's part of the, you know, you can call it the new world order, the new world culture, the Dajjali culture that, 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 is, that is come, that is coming. It's already here, but it's, it's getting further, you know, um, built on. So, in that time as well, the lesson that we have to remember is, man, you can control everything about me. You can control my phone, my bank account, my wallet, my car. You can turn it off because today everyone's got smartphones and smart homes and smart garages and smart fridges. Well, time will come. You'll be able to shut off everything, right? If you don't listen to us, shut, shut, shut everything out. You know, uh, the last year there was a, a protest uh, that the truckers did in Canada, right? The truckers were unhappy about certain wages and things of that sort, and they did a protest. And what happened? You heard about that? The bank, oh, you're from Canada. 
their bank accounts. They froze their bank accounts. That happened just last year in the, in the land of the free, <laughs> right? Just, just, they froze the bank accounts. Subhanallah. So this is what, what, what's lays ahead Allahu Alam, what's going to be like. But what we have to remember is, man, you freeze my bank account, you freeze my phone, you freeze my garage, you freeze my, you freeze my, my uh, everything else. But everything you manipulate around me is only on this world. As soon as my soul comes out, you have no control. And so that's why I have to always make sure the absolute king who's going to show his kingship He's king here too, but he doesn't show it in the fullest manner. He allows other people to act as though they are in power, in control. I give the example of this is when we used to, uh, you know, when you go for a drive with your little kid, say if you have a little child and you want to give him a little drive in the cul-de-sac and you let him hold onto the steering wheel. You are of course, paddle, you, ha- you got your one leg on the accelerator, one leg on the, on the brake pedal, and you also got your finger on the steering wheel. But that three, four-year-old, he thinks he's actually driving. He comes back home, he says, Mom, today I drove around, it was so nice. You know, Baba let me drive the car. Baba didn't let me, what? You let him drive the car? Right? No, he didn't let him drive the car. It was just having fun. Went around in the cul-de-sac and that was about it. But he's thinking that he's driving the car. Well, that's how it is today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed people to think that they run the world. And they ha- are not even in control of their own destiny. That what they're doing is they're digging their pit in hell deeper and deeper by the second. That's what they're doing. That's all they're doing. Their entire existence on this earth is to make their pit in hell fire deeper and deeper. And they think that we have world dominance. Why don't you just take care of your grave first before you talk about world dominance? Right? Why don't you take care of the spot where you're going to live once you leave from here? But they don't think like that. So shaitan has deluded them and they're thinking that they have dominance over there. That's such an important point for all of us to remind ourselves that no matter what batil and falsehood is doing against the believers, remember that their ability to affect your life only is limited to the life on earth. And we have to give preference to the everlasting life of the hereafter and make decisions that will be beneficial for us in the long term. Subhanallah. So that's the... Uh, story we see here is that Musa alayhi salam decided to leave Fir'aun's jurisdiction and move on to Madian. Some say he didn't exactly know which spot he was going to go to. He started just going up north. And that's why he said the dua, I hope it may be that my Lord will guide me upon the most even way. Meaning I hope Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide me to the right destination. Right? Um, and so this is why whenever we leave our home, we should be making the dua as well. For the dua of safar, when we're traveling, and when we arrive at a village, this, this, I mean, you know, last week too, I mentioned a bunch of masnoon duas. People are like, where, where do you get that from? Well, any book of duas will have it. One of the duas that when you leave your, uh, when you, when you, uh, when you leave your home, um, besides subhanallah, the famous dua when you read, when you, when you, when you uh, get in your car. But another one, Oh Allah, I seek righteousness and piety in this trip of mine. And I ask for you to inspire me to do those deeds and actions on this trip which are pleasing to you. Oh Allah, make this journey of mine easy. Make it easy for me to traverse this distance. And oh Allah, shorten the distance. Shorten the distance. That's the dua we're supposed to make every time we sit in the car for traveling. This one hour distance, allow it to be go quick. Either actually you traverse it quickly or it doesn't feel very long and you don't come out tired. Allahumma anta sahib of his safar. Oh Allah, you are my companion on this journey. 
And you are also simultaneously taking care of my household. Allahumma inni a'udhuka min wa'afai safar. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the burdens and the difficulties of this journey. Min wa'afai safar. And I seek refuge in you from seeing evil scenes. You know, when you're traveling, you don't want to see horrible car accidents. And you don't want to see um, uh, people injured. You don't want to see uh, harm happening to fellow travelers, to yourself, or when you go back home. And I seek in refuge in you from having a bad return. In terms of my wealth, I don't want to have a loss. In terms of my family, in terms of my children. When I come back home, I want to be home sweet home. Not like, my mother is hurt, my child is hurt, I lost so much money. What a beautiful comprehensive dua, mashallah. Every time you go on a journey, you set this comprehensive nature is directly inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This type of dua, we can't even think of it. So this is uh, the aspect of how every single journey is supposed to be deeni. And that's why when you arrive at a certain town, one of the du'as you're supposed to ask, Allahumma inni as'aluka khayra hadhi al-qariya. Oh Allah, I ask you the good of this village. Wa khayra ma fiha. And the good of what's inside this village. I mean the good of, good of around it, and good of what's inside it, and good of the people in it. Wa a'udhu bika min sharriha wa sharri ma fiha. I seek refuge from the evil of this village, and the evil within this village. And then, Allahumma habibna ila ahliha. Oh Allah, make me beloved to the people of this village. وَحَبِّبْ صَالِحِي أَهْلِيَا إِلَيْنَا And make the pious people of this town beloved to me. My, my, my Allah, what beautiful Islam we have. So comprehensive in nature that every simple so-called quick, quick one-hour trip, quick two-hour flight across the country, everything is deen. If you just simply bring the sunnah and the prophetic method of reading these duas and, and prayers in your trip, during your trip, at the end of your trip, the entire journey becomes deen. The entire journey becomes a source of reward. The entire journey becomes a blessing. May Allah give us tawfiq, you know, to, to bring deen 100% into our lives. So he asked Allah to guide him to the right path. Now he arrived after thousands of kilometers of traveling. He arrived at last, the, reached the water wells of Madian. Right. So after traveling, Allahu Alam, how tired and sick he must have been, how hungry he must have been, day and night, without food, without drink, he arrives over here. And um, he says, He found there a large group of people drawing water. Ummah means a large group of people. Minan nasi, right? A large group from the people. Wajada, he found them. Alihi, upon the well. Ma'a, Alihi is referring to the ma'a, the water. Yasquna, what were they doing? They were drawing water for their animals, for their herds. وَوَجَدَ مِن دُونِهِمْ امْرَأَتَيْنِ تَذُودَانِ And he found standing apart from them two women holding back their flock. ذَادَ يَذُودُ means تَذُودَانِ to hold back your animals. To hold back something. So these two women are not standing with the rest. They are to the side. And they are trying their best to ensure that their sheep don't go and run towards the well and drink with the rest. So it's like you have your bunch of your own kids and there's a playground and all the other kids are playing and you know, you can't, you have to go and you're holding on your children. Hey, you can't go there. You know, it's tough. So if you have a flock of sheep which are much more difficult to handle than three, four kids, right? When one goes, the rest follow and you can't stop that. So they're holding on to their flock of sheep and saying, please don't go, no, we're waiting. So Musa is tired. 
naturally, he's not just tired from a long day's work on a Tuesday evening like all of you, but rather he has traveled in the desert for, for Allah knows, months, months. And he's hungry, and we'll see, he's afraid. What if Fir'aun finds out about all of this stuff? Yet, his concern is, I need to be a source of help. I have to always be helpful to people. There should be no day that goes by without us being a means of assisting someone. My dear friends, that's what a believer is all about. That you always see how can you become a means of opening up the doors of goodness for someone. Can you get uh, a couple, uh, you know, uh, a good guy and a good, good boy and a good girl from two families connected and get married? Can you allow two, can you get two people who have similar business interests to get them connected and allow their business to flourish? Someone is trying to buy a house, someone's trying to sell a house. Someone is trying to uh, hire a builder, someone's trying to build a house. Just, you don't have, your commission is with Allah. Your commission is with Allah. The goal is, if I can become a means of some goodness coming into this world, that's sufficient. People may regularly ask you, why are you, what's in it for you? Why are you wasting your time, per se, helping XYZ? What's your interest in it? And your interest is it that you're a believer and you believe on the Day of Judgment and that you expect your reward to get from Allah. Why does every single thing have to be a paycheck now? Why have we become people who are so focused on what's in it for me now? Otherwise, they, they don't understand. Like how could you... Like example with money, especially. Anytime people, there's some type of uh, a scheme to help people or a masjid, etc. I remember long ago when we were raising funds for the original you know, uh, construction, etc. People come and say, people are not going to give. I said, oh really, why? He said, no, you have to give them back. You got to give them a t-shirt. You got to give them a mug. You have to give them a recognition, a sticker. I was shocked. I was like, what? This is what you're, you're doing it for? You pay $100 to get a mug? I don't understand. No, people like to get recognized. Brother, then what's left in the akhirah? If you're already getting a mug and a t-shirt and a thing for, and, and, and tickets to this and this and that, then what have you got left in the akhirah? You, a person, his attitude should be, subhanAllah, I never had this money. This money came to me from Allah. I'm lucky if Allah allows me to even give it. And then after he, if He allows me to give it, I don't even know if He's going to accept it or not. That should be the fear. But I saw an environment where people have begun to choose, begin to treat Islamic institutions like they do with the, you know, NPR or anything else. Hey, you know, donate and we'll give you free tickets to this and we'll, we'll donate this and we'll give you that. That's how the other non-for-profits, that's the issue. I realize that Muslims, we follow everyone else. And that's what the Prophet also said. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> it's gonna, you have a beautiful deen. How many other faiths have this dua? How many faiths have prophetic du'as? I promise you, you want to share about Islam with someone, go get a book on prophetic narrations and prayers. And ask, go around the street, say, see any faith, any group has such outstanding, amazing prayers, which are 100% divinely inspired. You sit here 100 years, you won't think of such du'as. Look up Ihizbul Azam, look up Munajat Makbul, pick up the du'a books there, read the English there if you don't know the Arabic, no problem. How do you come up with such a prophetic, how do you come up with such prayers? How do you ask Allah such outstanding things? We have to lead the way. But instead of that, we say, whatever everyone else is doing, we got to do the same thing. Well, they say, we have to recognize people who have given money, otherwise people won't give. We have to have, uh, you know, in the hospitals, of course, they have plaques. So now that's why anyone who donates to the masjid, we got to put their name on different classrooms, their name. And they have to put their name on the name of the masjid, etc. My beloved friends, as soon as we start using the methods of others, which may seem very convenient and easy because that is riwaj, murawaj, that has become common in our culture. 
then our deen is gone. Remember, success does not lie in customs. Success lies in sunnah. Success is not in riwaj. It's just customs. Success lies in sunnah, the prophetic method. That's our belief. We have a problem if we don't have, we have issues with the statement, what I just said. Success, our success, lies only in sunnah. So is, do we, or should we appreciate people who, who give in the name of Allah? Of course, go thank them, appreciate them. But this is not buying and selling. That oh, you give this and I'm going to give you in lieu of that, this. Then what about the, where is the reward going to come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And how can we expect that donation to bring about any goodness if it's not given out of pure sincerity? Something, you know, to think about. That we cannot sit there and blindly just follow what everyone else does. So here, we have Musa alayhi salam wanting to be a source of help. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, Tuba li abdin ja'alahu Allahu miftahan al-khayr wa mighlaqan lil-shar. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on that individual who Allah made him a key to open the doors of goodness and a lock to close the doors of evil. Tuba, glad tidings for you. So you're lucky that wherever you go, mashallah, you patch up a father and son who are fighting, a mother and daughter who are fighting, husband and wife. You say, come, let's sit down, let's talk about it. Let's sort it out. Oh, what do you have to do with this? No, I don't have nothing to do with it, but I'm here to help. On the way, that's all of us should become like that. That wherever we go, if we can help someone change their tire, uh, you charge up their battery, you know, to f- f- help them out with a few dollars, drop someone off at the masjid, pick them up for their son from the school, whatever it is, imagine we create an environment like it was in Medina Munawwara, that everyone is there available to assist and help one another. And it's like we're all brothers. We're here to assist and help one another in any way, shape, or form. But what has happened is that we've created so many walls between us that direct siblings, blood relatives, are not able to talk to each other anymore. And they're not able to seek assistance and help. This is the norm today. That's why you have all these people who have siblings and parents and spouses, yet they are clinically depressed. And you see, wait, hold on, have you ever spoken to anyone about these issues? No. So all these walls have come up within our homes. Unfortunately, we're connected in the era of, of connectivity, in the information age, we're so disconnected from our own. And that has led to so many issues within the house, including extremely high levels of uh, unhappiness with life and, and depression as well. A lot of it has to simply do with being able to express yourself to someone and share your issues. May Allah rectify the condition of our homes. Amin Abdullah. Put muhabba and love between every member of the household. So he says, I want to help out. So he goes to them and he says, Ma khatbukuma. All right. So ma khatbukuma, mashallah, is such a beautiful word. Ma khatbukuma, kuma is referring to two. So he's referring to the two women there. He says to them, What is it that makes you do this? Meaning, he tells us like a level of communication between a man and a female that is not related to him. Skip the pleasantries. Skip the high by and the weather and commenting on everything else. Get to the point. This is how the communication is supposed to be between males and females that are not related to one another. It has to be to the point and it's got it's to be focused and there should be absolutely no uh, sign that this conversation can go anywhere else. It's what we call absolute pure professional business. Right? Ma khatbukuma. What is it? What's going on? Ma khatbuk means what's happening to you? What's going on? Why are you sitting here on the side? Is it because these people have, are mean to you? Is it because you know, um, no one here to assist you? What's the problem that you're here with your animals 
it doesn't look nice a bunch of men because who are the ones who are the shepherds the men all the men with their animals are here and it's not nice to see two women here <clears throat> with their animals on the side they responded they said we cannot water our flock we can't why hatta until yust ri'a is the plural of ra'i which means shepherds asdara yusdiru means to to drive away until the shepherds move away and drive away their animals we cannot go and be shoulder to shoulder with these men at the well because that's not what we do that's not what we're about it's not befitting for us to be sitting in the midst of men and their animals trying to fit our way in subhanallah they're outside this is a need right it's a need it's a need that your animals you live off of the animals they're, if they're goats then they're, they're you know their milk and sheep it'll be their wool and eventually their meat and everything else so if this is a need this is not uh, entertainment we're going for a genuine need of the house the question is why are you women taking care of this this outside work where's the men of your house so the response without, without them him being even asked this is their response وَأَبُونَا شَيْخٌ كَبِيرٌ for our father look how he says for the reason we're out here in the first place is our father is an aged man and we are we, and the tafsir of that is and we are, only, we are the only ones who can help him we have no other male siblings right? there's no other one else in the home to assist with this work outdoor work so we see here is that the communication lot of lessons can be learned from this the communication between males and females who are not related to one another being onto the point number two is the fact that they are, are explaining that it is not befitting for a female to be shoulder to shoulder competing with men at the well it's sad today that in the haram you're supposed to be doing an ibadah but this is where you call jahala 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 ignorance ignorance upon ignorance that we have this idea that kissing the black stone is rewarding kissing the black stone in, 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 in the Kaaba is rewarding Making dua while touching the Kaaba or being at the Kaaba is rewarding. But those of you who have gone there, you know subhanAllah what crazy things happen. If the way men and women are pushing one another, Allahu Akbar, it's un- unreal, unreal. Never seen anything like this in your whole life. Is where this is happening? Uh, f- a, six, uh, you know, a half a foot from the most holiest spot on earth. Imagine how detestable this is in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Women screaming at the top of their lungs, their scarves out, the hair all over, their, their shirt being pulled. Right? And the people, it's like World War III. It's literally, it's like a, it, it, it's unbelievable level of wrestling happening between men and women um, at the Kaaba. Now someone will say, well, shouldn't the women have a right to go? Okay, yeah. There, there were times actually in, in uh, uh, there were times in the past uh, when things were very slow that they actually I actually went once like that there were ter- there was men would line up on one side of the Hajj Aswad women would line up on the other side alright and not too long ago I mean well, about 10 years ago so that's long yeah so they, they, they had a time between Hajj and after Hajj like the time after Hajj basically and uh, they were they had like one, two minutes for the men to kiss the stone and then two minutes for the women and everyone single file I don't know why they don't do that but as long as that's not happening I cannot see it permissible for our females to go in that. And for men also, 
if you are going at a time when the women are there, there's no reason for us to go there. The amount of sin that's going to be incurred there is far more than any sin you're going to get forgiven by kissing the stone. So this is complete ignorance. You know what this is? This is not ibadah. This is called desire. It's an it's Instagram moment. It's a Snapchat moment. It's like, oh, I kiss the Kaaba and they, they do it. They take a picture. It's, it's a selling point. You come back over lunch and dinner to your Hajj and Umrah group and say, oh man, I made it. It's something to show off about. For a lot of people, not say for everyone. But wait, did you, did you do this for the sake of Allah? Yes, I did. Well, well, this doesn't make sense. How could you ever think that it's permissible to sit there going shoulder to shoulder, neck to neck, rib to rib, you know, and everything else competing to come and kiss a stone or to touch the Kaaba. That is at most sunnah. At most. And everything here, this is beyond haram. Well, I mean, at least haram. Subhanallah. Astaghfirullah. So this happens when you don't have knowledge. And you just have excitement. Jazba, josh. You know, just excitement of just, oh, I gotta do something. Deen is not about doing what you want to do. Deen is about doing what you're supposed to do. I've had, for example, people's sisters ask, I'm not praying, but I just finished my exam. I'm so excited. I want to pray salat to shukr. I want to thank Allah. Can I do it? What, what do you mean, can I do it? You know the question, the answer. Why are you asking me? But I feel like it. Well, deen is not about what you feel like it. The amount of sin you're going to get in praying salat to shukr is far greater than any shukr and gratitude you're going to show to Allah Azza wa by doing well in your exam. Now, I'm, I'm in the haram. I want to go. Even though I'm not praying, but I want to go inside. The, your staying outside is a million times more rewarding than you staying inside if you're not, a person not praying. Similarly, a person who said the way to do shukr is to pray only. If a person is not, is, 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 is not, a sister is not praying, then for her, the most great thing, give sadaqah, sit and do tasbih, do dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why does it mean that I have to pray, that I have to pray two rakat salatul nafil? So there are tens of examples I can give that we do things that we like to do. And we think and we, we, we are deluded thinking that it's for the sake of Allah. But it's not for the sake of Allah. It's because we enjoy doing it. And there, worship is not for the sake of enjoyment. Worship is about where you don't even have a share in it. It's only for Allah. If you happen to like it, okay. But that can never be the main reason why you're doing it. And especially when what you like goes against what Allah and His Rasul want. How can a person give preference to what he likes and still think that he's worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Does it make sense? So here, the daughters of Shu'aib, according to some, these were definitely daughters of Shu'aib. Others say, no, it's not definite. There were two women there. Whatever the case may be, more than likely, and you'll see how the story goes. It could be the daughters of Shu'aib salam. So they said, the reason why we're out here is because our father is, is, is not able to come and do this ourselves. Here we learn another etiquette that a lot of those things which are the outdoor work are supposed to be delegated to men. Those are things that are supposed to be done by men. And a person who has got rujuliyah, manliness and masculinity, he will regard it below his dignity not to do it. And he will regard it against his honor that he put his females of his household to do such things, which the man of the household is supposed to be taking care of. And that is why Allah Azza wa Jal, when He speaks about الرِّجَالُ قَوَّامُونَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ بِمَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بَعْضُمْ عَلَى بَعْضُمْ وَبِمَا أَنْفَقُمْ مِنَ مُوَادِهِمْ In the fifth juice, where Allah Azza wa Jal says, Allah has, has given a certain level of virtue to men over women. Speaking, what does He speak of? What is that virtue? Meaning, why are you calling the shots? Why are you the emir of the house, the leader? Not just because you're a man. No. Because of what your, your role. What is that role? Allah Azza wa Jal says, you are taking care. You are taking care of the women of your house. 
So that man, due to the fact that he is a caretaker of his home, he deserves respect. And due to the fact that he spends from his money on all of her needs, and all of her children's needs, and his children's needs, and all of, of the needs of the home. This is another added reason for him to be regarded as a leader and an emir and to be given that respect. So today, we see both things not happening. Men are not fulfilling their responsibility. And women are obviously saying, forget it. What's, there's no reason for me to respect the man who doesn't do this. So now you have uh, the whole flipping of gender roles. And subhanAllah, a lots of things that were not meant to happen. A, five, a father sitting there trying to raise his three-year-old is definitely not going to be the same as, as, as the mother. This goes against the fitrah. This goes against the nature Allah has created men and women with. But like now, we are in a very interesting world. Transgenderism, we know. I've been, I knew this was coming. I knew it with, with the LGBT group. I've been announcing in our, you know, in our tafsir, you know, our tafsir bulletin here, news bulletin. But I knew this was going to come. The Pope, you heard? The Pope announced it yesterday. Right? And that was just a matter of time. That that is going to bow down to pressure um, on this. It was just a matter of time. We're the last man standing. We are. And all of those people who were the, 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 a thousand years ago, the whole world was with, with, with each other. But one after another, every single thing that we're standing for, it seems outdated backwards. When the, the whole world was doing this for the past thousands of years. But now, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's transgenderism, and whether it's gender roles, every single thing is like, are you crazy? Man, if my daughter heard you, my son heard you, if, I, if my wife hears this, my husband hears it, what am I supposed to do? This is the deen. <laughs> right? What, what, what is that? What am I supposed to do? This is the deen. And we know it. The amount of people who are going to remain firm on these principles as time goes forward, the floodgates have opened. You can't close the floodgates anymore. People ask me, what type of legislation can we do? How can we fight back? Like, I'm not really, I don't think there's, Allah knows best. I'm not an expert on this. But it seems like now you have to protect yourself and your family and whoever few you can grab. Because morality is out the door. There's no such thing as, you know, uh, this is absolute truth, this is absolute falsehood. Every single thing is changing. Subhanallah. It's all about what do people think, and people will constantly be changing as the, as, as the, as the, as the, as the world moves forward. So you hear, you see lots of times people will say, there's no respect in the home. Most men will probably agree with me. They say they're not respected by their wives. And wives will say, or oh, a husband doesn't take care of it, doesn't take care of our needs. But that, this is a very big issue. We've kind of like, you know, as a society, we've grown, we have, grown we, have, we have created a Frankenstein in every home. So the relationship between par- husbands and wives are absolutely scarred, and between parents and children. It's crazy. It's every home, right? It's just maybe 1% speak up, but 99% are going through the same thing. And um, you, it's your decision now. Whoever's listening to me, it's your decision to figure out how do you want your house to be run. If haya has to come, if we want, if we want haya, modesty, bashfulness, inhibition from doing wrong, to be a part and parcel of your of your household, there's got to be certain roles that you as men play, and there's got to be certain roles that women play. If we're gonna force women to take upon the roles of the men, it almost always will ins- will force them to have to lose a certain level of haya. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Because the role that men have to play is in front. 
We haven't sent anyone besides you except for men. Allah says in the Quran, this is two things here. Men is referring to, rijalan means men as opposed to angels. And men as opposed to women, both. Allah has only sent prophets amongst humans, and they all have been men. The scholars of tafsir write that one of the reasons why women have never been a prophet is because what's required from a prophet to be up front and center, the front row of the battlefield, to be the general on the battlefield, to be the caretaker, to be the peacemaker, to be the educator, to be the one who's, who's, uh, who's carrying the responsibilities of the entire nation, and to be in front, literally physically be in front of the people. And this is what the scholars of Tafsir write, not of yesterday or today, I'm talking about hundreds of years, it's in the books. That this type of out, outwardly presence is not befitting for women. And I know people have an issue with that. So, you know, so be it. They'll have an issue with everything else I'm saying as well. But the, the reality is that if you look at the Quran and Sunnah, you can't change it. You have 1500 years of scholarship of Islam. And then you have what's going on in the past uh, 20 years. So this huge movement of feminism, uh, what, what it has brought, you'll see the effort. Of, when you have 5,000, 10,000 innocent girls and women being mutilated, killed, amputated, bulldozers coming, destroying, there's sick people, the whole hospital is down. So you got six people lying outside, outside of the hospital. And a bulldozer comes while they're still alive. And, 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 and kills them right with the bulldozer and dumps mud over them and you can see legs sticking out, head sticking out, f- sick people in front of the hospital. This happened just two days ago. And no one cares about women's rights. But you're, care- you're worried about why are girls and boys separated in the schools of, of Afghanistan. And that you will have that cover story every single day on the front page of some of the largest news outlets of the world every single day for a year that women are not getting their education. Are you genuinely caring about the Muslim women? I'm sorry. I have absolutely zero faith in your empathy and care. It's a whole different agenda. Your agenda is clearly try to take your liberal values and shove it down the throat of everyone else. Shove it down the throat of everyone else and get people out of the freedom that they live in. I tell you, those people, they're living off the grid. Said We we can't accept that. We cannot allow you to live off the grid. You have to think in a feministic, postmodern, liberal method the way we do. That's part of the jail. That's part of the World Wide Web. That's part of the Dajjali era. That everyone has to think in a certain manner. So today, who is, we don't have issue with non-Muslims only. Some non-Muslims, not all of course. Many, not, many, many non-Muslims will agree with everything I'm saying. But, yeah, but it's our own Muslims from our own community who will be pro-LGBTQ, pro-transgender, pro-feminism, Feminism, of course, for those who are maybe wondering, there's, there's no doubt about it that the flag bearers of the rights of women have always been Muslims. 1500 years ago, the Prophet ﷺ brought the Charter of Rights, not only for animals, but for women uh, uh, as well, at a time when there was absolute dark ages, even before the dark ages of uh, the Middle Ages. Before that, the Prophet ﷺ was the first person. You would never think anyone would have talked about animal rights for 1500 years ago. SubhanAllah, but our Prophet ﷺ did. Rights of cats, rights of dogs, rights of nature, rights of natural resources, including water, including trees. He spoke about this. We don't have time to get into all that. But then he spoke. And then of course he spoke about in so many different instances until the last khutbah and the last words that uttered from his mouth before he passed away. Right? That take care of those who are subordinates to you. That was it. 
So we, we, no one can tell us that we, we are, Islam is suppressive to women. But subhanAllah, what's happened? They played batil and falsehood has played such a trick that our own children will tell us this. That Islam is misogynistic. Quran is sexist. Anti-women. I'm done with this. I hear it every day. I hear it every day. We've lost our own. They've been infected. Honestly, our own children have been infected. Many adults have been infected. So these are topics that are very hard to swallow because we've been infected. But otherwise, I wouldn't, we'd fly through this discussion, say if we were giving a tafsir 30 years ago. It's like, come on, let's go, let's go, move on. But every single thing I'm saying is such a bitter pill to swallow for people because times have changed. And I don't know what will hold in the next, you know, what will happen in the next decade. SubhanAllah. But this is the idea of gender roles that I'm speaking about as well. Is if a person l- lets the children be handled by the nanny, or by the iPhone, iPad, and both, we have double income coming in. Let's talk about that. Double income, let's study it. How has double income helped our homes? Across the world, across America right now, what was it? Our credit card debt is at the all-time high. I forgot the number right now. But was it three trillion? I think so, or some of that sort. Some in the trillions, right? Credit card debt. People are finding it more than ever difficult to take care of themselves. Although both are earning, sometimes both are earning six figures, right? Subhanallah. But life has not become easy. Everyone is still behind the bills, struggling. It hasn't bring peace in the home. Isn't that the husband and wife have become lovey-dovey, that they're working and they're able to buy each other vacations? I told you how many times I know husbands and wife, they call me from the vacation, from the vacation, that I'm booking my ticket to come back home. And you know I'm resolving issues, conflict control, like AAA, you know, from from sitting call center over here while they are in an international destination after having spent maybe fifteen thousand dollars on a couple's vacation, and because money doesn't bring happiness, my friend, money doesn't bring happiness. This is all the farce in the mind. That this is how you know we, if I, if we go for a vacation, we'll be happy. It's all false. There's no deen. There's no sunnah. You're never going to be happy. So the, the disconnect between parents and kids. The reason you say you're earning money is to give your children a good successful life. But when you're never there for them, and the mom is not even there for them, and they just have ready-made um, peanut butter jelly sandwiches which are frozen and you microwave them and send them on the packing. Say, no, you just take it out and take care of yourself. Gone are the days of fresh lunches and French, you know, subhanAllah, dinners, waiting. That doesn't happen. Everything pre-made, pre-packed, catered, fulan, everything else. Why? Because we're working. Why are you working? To take care of you. When, there's a day when the kids are going to say, no. You didn't do this for me. This is, a, this is fake. I see that because I counsel all the time youth. And I'm always hearing all the dirty laundry from the houses. And so children are absolutely unhappy with their parents. They are. And the sad part is those parents have ruined their lives, done three jobs to take care of these kids. While, while they're still alive, their kids hate their guts. And one thing they haven't done is they haven't given them the love. They haven't given them the time. They haven't given them the attention. At least one of two. But both of them are out there saying, no, we, we got to hustle, we got to hustle, we got to hustle. Those children, I promise you, would have much preferred a two-bedroom apartment than a four-bedroom house, but in which they got time, and they got love, and they got attention. But this rat race of everyone saying, no, I need a trophy wife who brings in money. That's the idea. It's not about, subhanAllah, I was raised by an amazing mother. I want someone, subhanAllah, who raised amazing children. No. I am a money, uh, uh, you know, ching-ching, I make money, and I want my wife to make money. For what? I don't understand that. Why should you be given any respect if you are putting the burden of earning money on your wife as well? That's supposed to be. If you have to do three jobs, do three jobs. Your job is to take care of the responsibilities of the house. Yes, live within your means. But now you say, no, I need to have a wife also that earns so much. 
and always at the house and at the cost of not giving attention to the kids then my dear friends you're gonna have failures now someone may say uh, both are working but mashallah that both of the kids got into medical school and law school and fulan who said that is the criteria of success if they don't pray if they don't fast if they don't know how to ask from Allah if they can't guard their gaze from haram if they can't keep themselves away from zina they can't keep themselves away from drinking they cannot keep themselves away from disrespecting their parents how is that success? by any means we have again completely conflated the definition of success that everything within our community comes down to money as long as money is made you're successful the wife makes money, she's successful. Husband makes money, successful. Son and son-in-law make money, is successful. Daughter and daughter-in-law makes money, successful. That's it. On, that's the honest truth of our community now. As long as the money is flowing, no matter about your, your akhlaq, your character, about your prayer, about everything else, secondary. Not even secondary. It's not even a discussion. Just show us the Benjamins and we'll be happy with you. That's where the world is running. And that, well, I know that. We live in a materialistic world. But we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to lead by example. We're supposed to show people that our homes are different. We have, subhanAllah, we prioritize family over everything. That's how it used to be. You prioritize the children over everything else. You prioritize their emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being over everything else. That needs to be the key thing. But since the World War II, and you'll see the, um, uh, you know, Various types of industrial revolution came in, and of course, the, the, when the men, were, you know, as the men were out there giving their lives across the globe, millions and millions of them, shortage of labor. Now, we've been duped. They said, no, come out, come out, come out. You got to support your country. You got to support. So it was a full, uh, just like the pornographic industry and, uh, and the, 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 the uh, you know, uh, what you call prostitution industry are led by men, most evil, evil, evil of men, who dupe those miskeen poor girls and women to thinking that they're doing a favor upon them. I've read a lot into this, right? Just subhanAllah, just honestly, it's crazy of how they have duped these people, these innocent girls and women thinking that this is part of my freedom. And if anyone tells me otherwise, you're impending on my freedom, my body, my right. I'll sell it wherever I want. They've, they've duped them. So similarly, there's this whole effort to say that your success and worth is only based on how much money you make. That gender pay gap and everything. You're, you, will, you have to prove yourself until you don't become a CFO, until you don't become a CEO, until you do not become an extremely uh, high-paying professional, you're worthless. I am not speaking about people going to that field. I am absolutely, don't get me wrong, don't put words in my mouth. I'm not speaking about women doing those or, or not doing those. That's not my discussion here. I'm simply speaking about the ideas, the efforts that are happening behind the scenes, within our mind, the thoughts that are brewing in our hearts and minds due to external influences which are making us do certain things which the previous generation never did. I want all of us to take this food for thought and just sit back and ask yourselves, how, do, how, how is this society end up here? Why am I thinking in this certain manner? Do like a psychoanalysis of yourself. Right? Especially if you're an adult. Right? You've been through different stages. Why is it that you think differently than say uh, your parents or grandparents? Why was it that subhanAllah, pious, righteous children was the, uh, the, the, the criteria of success? Someone had uh, God-fearing, obedient children, he'd say, Alhamdulillah, successful. I am so indebted to my wife. That was it. That was before. But now it's changed. That's not, that's, that's not even, that's not even like, on the agenda. That's not even on the agenda. It's just about, can they earn money? So we're definitely gonna have lots of problems within the homes. And I'm telling you, we're not getting any happiness. That's what Nabi Ali said from one of the signs of the hour. He said, 
that the children will become a source of rage for their parents. Right? Children will become a source of rage. Right? The, based on what we feed them, and based on the, t- the type of ways they're being treated, the children, of course, are becoming absolutely disobedient. And, the, and parents do not know how to handle that. So the, the goal of a believer, now more than ever, now more than ever, you may not have the ideal masjid in your community. You may not have the ideal seminary or madrasa in your community. You may not have the ideal Islamic school. And honestly, most of us do not have that. What is our responsibility is to create, to the best of our ability, the ideal environment at home. You control your 2,000 square foot space. That's your home. That's where your jurisdiction is. As husbands and wives, and unmarried couples in the future, inshallah, you get married, you find the right people on the same page. That's what you got to be. That we're going to run this show. We can't control what's happening outside. But this 2,000 square feet of space is going to be under our jurisdiction. And we're going to ensure that our children thrive over here, both spiritually, academically, physically, mentally. And they're going to be able to handle the situations outside. We are not going to allow the chatter of outside world to come influence the way we think we should raise our kids and the way we think we should be, our relationship should be. We need to end the disrespect between husband and wives. We have to honestly end that. There's no khair. All those, all those men who do not take care of the responsibilities of the wife or the, or the family, we need to wake up. We have to, uh, you know, being macho is not about being lazy. Right? We have to take care of it. And number two, all those women who disrespect their husbands, that you, uh, you know, you're fooling yourself, thinking you're going to get somewhere with Allah Azza wa Jal with that either. That doesn't work like that. As a general principle, whoever doesn't thank the people can never thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that's why Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa he mentioned the rights of her husband and wife. Khayarukum, khayarukum the best from amongst you is the one who treats his family in the best possible manner. And your family is not just your wife. Your family is your wife and your children and your parents, all of them. Because many people think that this means only wife. So they said, I can disrespect my mother as long as I take care of my wife, I'm the best person. That is wrong. No one said that. Right? Additionally, then the wife has been told that if there was a, your, your, the, uh, if a, if a lady performs her five times daily salah, gives her fast, does her fast, gives her zakat, performs her hajj if it is obligatory upon her, and obeys and takes care of her husband, she may enter from whichever door of Jannah she wishes. When was this? He said this to a lady who came and said, Ya Rasulullah, the men are participating in all these expeditions and they're going out, they're doing all the big things, the big things. You know, being center of the stage, going out and about, or being in, an, in war, in battle. How come we're, we, we don't have that opportunity? So this is the answer the Prophet ﷺ gave. It's not about what you want to do, it's about what you need to do. It's about what you need to do. Again, I know these are things that if I speak outside, they'll cancel me. Alhamdulillah, we're speaking in our masjid. The worst cancellation is you guys next week, you say you're not going to come. Okay, inshallah, Allah will send someone else. But the, the idea is, you know, deen is not about, about what you want to do. So here, he told her. He didn't say, oh, khalas, you can. He said, no, you take care of your basic faraid and take care of your husband, that's your jannah. Is that what we create in an environment today? No, people won't say, everything I'll do, I'll go become not only a doctor, I'll become a scholar, female scholar, I'll give dars in every masjid. But I will use my tongue in the most harshest manner against my husband. What kind of deen is this? What kind of deen? You can have all the students of the world, but if you cannot be respectful at home, there's this and that deen. 
And similarly, that husband that smiles and takes care of his friend's bill and paying for this food and that food, but at home, he's not taking care of the responsibilities, not taking care of the needs, then he's also not fulfilling his part of the deal. So we have to honestly be real with ourselves to see how can we improve at our homes. Forget the world. Dunya idhar jari bhai. The, light, the world is going this direction. Forget the world, man. Forget the world. Take care of your home. So this ayah here is a fundamental verse in communication between men and women who are unrelated. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, another fundamental verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in the 22nd juice, Surah Al-Ahzab, the first page, which we already covered last year or two years ago. Allah Azul tells the women of the wife, uh, the wives of the Prophet, Ya Nisa and Nabi, O the women of the Prophet, Lastunnaka ahadim min nisa you are not like the rest of the women. So you have to ha- you have a higher standard. What does that mean? You're not. Meaning you have a higher standard. Okay, then he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to them. Move on. So do not speak in a attractive, seductive manner. Khudu' means softness. Do not speak in a manner that is you know, has within it a, a, a soft tone that would, could be regarded as attractive. Allah is clearly, you know there's no hashr in the Qur'an. There's nothing extra in the Qur'an. But there's a whole ayah, فَلَا تَخْضَعْنَ بِالْقَوْلِ Do not speak in a manner that is seductive, that is soft. Khudu' means to soft. What's gonna happen? فَيَطْمَعَ الَّذِي فِي قَلْبِهِ مَرَضٍ because then that person who's listening to you, who's he speaking to? The wives of the Prophet. We know they're called Ummahatul Mu'mineen. It's haram, forbidden for anyone to marry them after the Prophet There are mothers. Yet shaitan is evil, 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 evil. And the nafs is with all of us. He says, lest someone in whose heart is a sickness may be... Marad, this is sickness. This level of lust is a sickness, which is which Rasul Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling who? The era of Sahaba. The era of Rasulullah The Quran is still being revealed Meaning the Prophet is still alive In Medina He's saying there's people who are hypocrites And there's people who have sickness in their heart Tama means desire That a man who is sick He will begin to have lustful thoughts about you Rather speak in an appropriate manner And then he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Sahaba La is'aluhunna min wara'i hijab when you have to ask the women, the wives of the Prophet something, do not look at them face to face. They're your mom. They're your mother. The mother, the wife of the Prophet, man. I'm not going to have evil thoughts. It doesn't make a difference. Even if they are the wife of the Prophet, speak to them behind the curtain. How all of a sudden can anyone think today that they're more pious than the Sahaba or a female thinks she's more pious than the wives of the Prophet They've lost it. You've lost your mind. If you think that way, that you can regard yourself to be at a higher ground, higher moral ground than the wives of the Prophet ﷺ or the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. This Allah knows us. Allah knows our nafs. Allah knows the shaitan. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is why He has made this beautiful system, safety net, safety net of all of these interactions. Right? So that's why, say, when, when we go to a store, or you have some service, some, some discussion between a male and a female, men and women should ensure that they should not say anything that would give the other person a chance to prolong the conversation. That's why it should be very direct. My, sometimes it may even sound curt. 
but sh- very short to the point and that's it not short and sweet <laughs> just short okay and then move on this is what we learn from um, this uh, what you call interaction so now Musa salam says go I'll take care of this فَسَقَالَهُمَا he said Awalamaran, it's not befitting that a man watches a bunch of women doing labor labor work it doesn't make sense even though I'm not related to you go from here I'll take care of it you stay I'll take care of it he took the, he, the flock according to some narrations when he came in and being as broad and amazingly strong he was the rest of the people like alright let's go so they moved out and according to some narrations he actually dug up a well immediately some feet away right then and there and, 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 and gave them water ثُمَّ now uh, hey how are you you know um, and uh, aren't you gonna ask me where I'm coming from and um, how about a thank you message and whatnot? no Immediately, done. I did my job. Not sit chit chatting over here. Then he turned aside to the shade of a tree. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wayfarer. I'm hungry, starving, thirsty, dead tired. Well, I'm just gonna. St- he just took shelter under the tree because it was super hot. And what did he say? Faqala. And then he said, Rabbi, oh my Lord, Ya Allah, my Lord, inni, indeed I am. Lima anzalta ilayya min khairin faqir. Faqir means needful. Faqir means I am needful. Of whatever good you may have sent down to me. Most surely I am most needful. Right. This is dua that Shu'ayb did, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for two things. He is saying, I have nothing. I need you. My dear friends, one thing I want to say is that Ad- uh, um, Musa salam was faqir. And in what sense? Faqir, if Musa is faqir, what about you and I? How faqir we are? Antumul Allah. Allah says, You are in need of Allah, not the other way around. Wallahu al al Hamid. Allah is free of all want, Al Hamid worthy of all praise. Part of our faqir is we, we are faqir for good deeds. That's why none of us should have a day go by in which we have not amassed some good deeds. Like right now, if you think today was just a ah day, do something now on your way out. Right? Give some sadaqah. Share some good words with someone. Help someone out. Uh, you know, recite something, uh, some extra Quran. Do something. Of course, sitting here, it's one of the beautiful things that you're doing of today. No doubt. But my point is, every single day, we have to make sure that we have accomplished and amassed some goodness. And that goodness, a big chunk of that goodness is being a source of help for someone else. Every day we should have that. Some hidden deed that no one besides us and Allah knows. Quietly under the table assisting people. Without them even knowing. Think about that. Without them even knowing that you're assisting them. Just go make, pick up the phone and help someone out. Hey man, this guy's coming, please take care of him. You don't need a thank you message. That's the real ikhlas. When you don't let people know that you're helping them, hence you don't get an appreciation. Or they know it, but they don't care about appreciating you. That, how do you feel about it? Does that make you angry? Does it make you upset? Let's say, that's it, I'm never going to help him again. Then where was our ikhlas? Where was our sincerity? The test of sincerity is that we keep on doing things without being recognized and appreciated. That's tough pill. May Allah make it easy for us to do that. This dua he made is a dua that scholars say is very beneficial for um, anyone who is looking to do two things. Anyone who is looking for a job and anyone who is looking to get married. Anyone who is looking for sustenance. Job, yani sustenance, risk. And anyone who is to get married. This is Musa salam's dua. Allah accepted that. فَجَاءَتُ إِحْدَاهُمَا So one of the two women came back to him. She left with the animals. 
she came back walking bashfully she said indeed my father calls to you to recompense you with the reward Ajra, reward. Ma saqaita for watering. Lana, our flock for us. For, lana means for us. Falamma. So when Ja'ahu Musa came to the father, wa and qassa, he shared and narrated to him, alayhi to the father, al qasasa, the whole story of how he ran away from Egypt. Qala, the father, Shu'ayb, said to him, la takhaf, have no fear. Najauta, you have been delivered from najat. You have been delivered min al qawmi mean from the wrongdoing people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once again That Allah who does not have a single extra letter in the Qur'an He speaks about how the, one of these girls came back walking To um, uh, Musa alayhi salatu salam But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically speaks about her walk Why? Why did you say she came and walked and said No, ala stihya, you see it right here Ala stihya, she was walking bashfully Ala means on top Istihya is a root word for uh, bashfulness. It's as though you took bashfulness and put it in a big jug or a jar or a big pot and she's sitting and walking on top of it. Meaning, she had the most bashful walk. Such an important point for us here is that modesty and bashfulness, this is a whole one hour topic. We're not going to do one hour, don't worry. But haya, bashfulness is not in the scarf only. It's not in your shalwar qamis. It's not in your jilbab. It's not in your, you know, etc, etc. People think that bashfulness and modesty in hijab is in the specific clothing only. Of course it's in the clothing. But clothing is just a part of it. Rather a, a bashful lifestyle. Modest lifestyle. And you know these topics, I have to sit and explain it like I'm speaking to kids, honestly, to the world. When I speak to the world, not to you all, to the world. I have to sit there and speak to like three-year-olds, four-year-olds, because no one understands anything. But honestly, grab me a 95-year-old lady from this country, from the south, or even from the north. And subhanAllah, she will follow along, nod her head, totally with me. That's just how it is. Because these things were absolutely normal. Normal. It was so amazing, subhanAllah. I was in the elevator going up in a, a doctor's a doctor's office and my young five-year-old uh, male protector was with me and she <laughs> was, uh, you know, and an old lady, old white, you know, Caucasian lady was there in the, with her son. She must have been in her 80s or 90s. And she was walking and then she said, oh, such a cute girl. You know, she said, hi. And my daughter kind of, uh, you know, hid behind me. And I was, I was very keen how she responded, this old lady. She said, oh, she's so bashful. I was like, so I want to actually say that to her. I said, you know what? I haven't heard that word in a long time. People will use the word, oh, she's being very timid or shy. But the word bashful, subhanAllah, that's haya. That's something you will not hear this generation say. But since she is from the past generation, she recognized that what this girl has, she might be very confident, she might be, but she's, what, what does she have? It's a good sifa. It's a good quality, which is bashfulness. Not to be, here's my name, hello, what's yours? That, we're not, you know, that's not what you create within little girls. Again, contrary to the world, I know that. So, you know, that's, uh, the world is going in a different direction. But we say that haya is the most important sifa that you can create. One father said, Mufti Sahib, you know, oh, I have an eight-year-old daughter, which Quran class should I put her in class? I got her going to this class and that class. I got her tajweed class, Arabic class, Islamic school, this tour. So I want to, I want to make mashwara and advice from you, seek advice from you. I said, my advice to you, is you protect your children from feminism. 
That's the number one thing. Everything else comes afterwards. And he's like, oh boy, I can't even bring that topic up at home. I'm like, well, khalas, you lost the battle. Thank you. That's exactly why I said, speak about this. Because you already lost the battle at home. He's saying that. He's like, no way, there's no way I can, I can speak about it. Again, the feminism we're speaking about is a modern feminism. Not the idea of women's rights. So what is the part of the modern feminism is? The less haya a female has, the more beautiful, the more attractive. SubhanAllah, India, Pakistan was known to be the East. Where, and of course the Middle East too. A place of haya. I cannot believe what stuff is coming out. I cannot believe what's in the late night shows. I promise you. As someone sent me a clip yeah, last year from Pakistan, a late night show. And I, don't, I haven't gone to Pakistan for 20 plus years. And those of you who know, go there, you can tell me. It's, it's unbelievable. There is no concept of haya. I promise you, people will, our elders would, you know, they say turn, in their, turn from side to side in their graves. If they see what's happening in public television in front of everyone. Just look at the 50s and 60s, 40s movies with, from Bollywood coming out. Within Hindus, there was so much haya, even in the most, you know, movie theater. But there was such a strong concept of bashfulness and such a strong sense of modesty in the interaction of men and women. And the amount of filth that Bollywood has, has put out there, which has overtaken Pakistan as well, and the world, is it's something which is unbelievable. So now, haya is not just gone over here, it's gone overseas. Sometimes even gone to a greater degree over there. There is no beauty. The beauty of a man and a woman, a man's beauty is in chivalry. And a woman's beauty is in her haya. And I want, to, I want to share with you something amazing from Surah Rahman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Jannah in Surah Rahman. And He says, وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ And then Allah says, وَمِنْ دُونِهِمَا جَنَّتَانِ And then there's two Jannahs beyond that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about two higher Jannahs and two lower Jannahs. Okay? Two higher Jannahs and two lower Jannahs. Two higher gardens and two lower gardens in paradise. And then He speaks about the dazzles of Jannah. The hur, the dazzles of Jannah. Wherever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the dazzles of Jannah, the hur of Jannah, that men are supposed to aspire, like, oh wow, I'm going to be, be, be given such beautiful uh, you know, maidens in paradise. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak about? Allah azza wa jalla is not speaking about the beauty of their skin. Allah is not speaking about their seductive voices. Allah is not speaking about the jewelry on their necks. Allah consistently when describing them in Surah Rahman, Surah Waqi'ah and other surahs, always speaks about the aspect of how bashful they are. How protected they are. How no man has ever touched them. Because that's what a normal human being or a normal man is attracted to. He's attracted to a female that is bashful. And what is a female attracted to? A man that has chivalry. That has ghayra. That will stand by her and give her his life to protect her honor. Not use her as a trophy wife showing her around. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the two types of jannah. And then he says, one group of Jannah will have um, such women, They are those who are protected in their, maqsurat means they are protected in their uh, tents. Tents means not the tents of this world, of course. Some outstanding, amazing, beautiful pearl, uh, uh, tents made out of one big, huge, massive pearl. So maqsurat, they're stuck inside. Meaning, they're not going in and out. No man and woman has come, no man is coming inside them. They're waiting for their husbands to come, or rather their, their, yeah, yeah, their husbands from, from dunya to come. That's one level of Jannah. And then the next higher level of Jannah, Allah speaks about the ruhur of that Jannah. 
He says, Fihinna qasiratu tarf. In those Jannah will be such hur, qasiratu tarf, who have their gazes lowered themselves. So the scholars of tafsir say, the one who has been protected inside the house or inside the tent cannot be compared to the one who willingly lowers her gaze. MashaAllah. Did you understand the point? The one who out of her way willingly is lowering her the gaze. Doesn't mean she's not in her own palace. But the idea is Allah speaking about the willingness of herself. She's got this own sense of hayat that I have to always keep my gaze lowered. That's how, there's no men there in Jannah right now. There's no, none of us are there. But it's intrinsic. That's the high quality of hur she is. That she's got her gazes lowered perpetually. Subhanallah. May Allah give us the understanding of this. I know it's going over our heads. But this is part of Surah Al-Rahman, which all of you love. Women love to hear Surah Al-Rahman. They always request, can you read Surah Al-Rahman? We'll focus on these verses as well. That the haya, where has happened to the haya? It's gone. To the extent that anyone who speaks about haya, he gets shot at. Shot at by, not only by the men, but unfortunately the first and foremost to attack him will be the men, or women. Then what are you talking about? Why are you always obsessed with speaking about women? No, we're not. This is 50, over 50% of the world is, are women and the responsibility of a scholar is n- and a nabi. Where did this come from? That the nabi must only speak about men's issues and not women's issues. Well, who said that? The scholar's job is to speak about all the issues. From the issues of tahara for women, hayd and nifas, to wilada and everything related to that, to the, the men's issues. As a darul ifta or as a scholar uh, or an imam, the job is to address all issues of society. I don't know what it means to be uh, suicidal. I don't know what it means to be a drug addict, for example. Alhamdulillah. That doesn't mean I cannot address these issues. That job of an imam is to address all issues, whether you felt it or not, whether you know it or not. Transgenderism, LGBTQ, whatever. Oh, you haven't felt what I'm going through so you can't address it? No. We will address it. So this also needs to be removed from the mind. That it's only you have to have feminist women who will address issues and give meanings of the Qur'an by Allah that no one in the history has ever given such interpretations of the meanings of the Qur'an that today the new feminist movement is coming up. And we're falling for it. That's another whole, again, discussion I can share with you. How these explanations and people are nodding their heads. It's all over TikTok. It's all over Instagram. Like, oh wow, that's such an amazing explanation. Never heard of it. There's a reason you never heard of it. Because it's false. It's fake. No one said it in 15 centuries. If someone just made it up from their nafs, where's the proof? That's why the charter, if you say, I follow Quran and Sunnah, no. Don't just say, I follow Quran and Sunnah. Say, I follow Quran and Sunnah as explained by the earliest generation of the Sahaba and those who came after them. Don't just say, I follow Quran and Sunnah. Because today, people are doing the most haram things and call it, I'm following Sunnah. I'm following Quran. Where's the proof? Tell me which Sahabi gave an explanation that you just said right now. That's why, make sure, whenever you say, I follow Quran and Sunnah, please add this. I follow Quran and Sunnah as understood and explained by the earliest of generations of the, of the rightly guided Muslims. And we hope we do follow that. So she comes walking absolutely bashfully. The haya is not in just a scarf. I asked the girls, you know, the Tanweer girls here. I said, listen, I don't know. Again, you know girls, obviously I don't know too much. You tell me, I have, a, I have an inkling that's, that hijab is completely misunderstood. That they think it's just a piece of cloth. Rather, they have people who wear a huge chunk of the population will throw on a dupatta or a scarf in which one-fourth or half of the head is shown. And they regard that self as wearing a scarf. Yes? All over. What do you guys say? They're like, you're right. I said, this is not a scarf. This is maybe you should wear a thicker scarf to protect you from the cold. You know, just say, yeah, that's what it is. This is a fashion statement. This has nothing to do with the hijab of Islam. Any strand of hair that is showing, the neck is showing, the nape is showing. Allah says in the Quran, what's that? 
that they need to put their scarves, juyubihin means their chest, their bosom. That the scarf should not be something just tied around the neck and the chest is exp- as shown. What is that? Rather, the Quran explicitly is saying, juyub means your chest. That the scarf needs to be so large and so big that it must be falling upon the chest to, to, to make sure that that is protected from the, from the gaze of others. So it's not only about the hair, it's about also extending downward. But what happens is, we have allowed this to happen, it's, it's acceptable. Satar, my dear fathers and mothers, if your son came here in what we call shorts, boxers, none of us would allow our son to sit in tafsir wearing boxers. Would never allow our son to come down boxers. Like, what are you talking about? Dad, I don't care about deen. I don't care if you don't. You're not gonna sit in front of me wearing boxers. That's satar. I'm giving you an example, right? Because why? It's satar. It's a mandatory part that needs to be covered. Hair is one of those things which is, I was just checking today, upon all schools of thought, you will not find any opinion out there that says the hair is not part of the satar. There's no concept of that. Someone is not doing that, that's a different issue. But as fathers and mothers, when we start thinking, we start saying it's okay. No one will tell their son or daughter, Beta, you know what? You're 18 years old, he's only praying fajr. Yeah, he's on his journey of learning how to pray. Either you say, Ya Allah, Mufti make dua for my son, he doesn't pray. No one will say, Alhamdulillah, he's on a journey of praying. He's, oh, he prays once a day. No one says he's on a journey of, of um, you know, learning how to cover himself up. He just right now wants to be in his boxers. But one day he'll cover himself. No one says that. But as soon as it comes to hijab, all of a sudden it says she's on her journey. No, the reason she's on her journey, I'm not blaming the girls. I promise you, I'm not blaming the girls. It's the parents. It's 100% fault of the parents. And the environment that they has allowed this so-called journey to happen. What is that? Either, you, either you're praying or not praying. What is this journey business? When you're seven years old, six years old, I understand. Mashallah, I come for Isha. I sleep through Fajr, I'm six years old. I got that journey part. So similarly, if a girl is five, six, seven, not baligh, she's going through her journey of, of wearing her scarf sometimes, understand. But once she has become baligah, and she has reached maturity, then there's no such thing as a journey. It's either halal or haram. It's either her satar is showing or not. And let's not mince our words. I, 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 you know, if you've got cancer, just tell me, you got cancer. So we can address it. But he said, it's okay, it's okay, you got a cough, it's fine, shall we keep coming, take some cough medicine, you'll be fine. That is a disservice to that patient. So when you tell people, it's just a journey, it's okay, you're enabling them to continue down that path. Without saying, you know, the, you know inshallah, we're here to help you, but just let you know, this is what the deen says. If someone accepted Islam today, honestly, I can understand the journey part. If someone accepted Islam today. But a born Muslim, who's come from a Muslim home, I'm confused about the journey. It seems like the parents are in the journey and they turn around, they did a 180. Not the kid. It's the parents who are in the journey. So this is something I've been wanting to speak about. This whole journey of hijab word. And alhamdulillah, I'm speaking to you after speaking to my students who alhamdulillah agreed with me. And I always tell my students, please, you'd, yani, you have a full right to debate with me. You have full right to say, okay, you guys, you're just listening. So I don't know what you're all thinking about. <laughs> okay? But in class, I say, ask, ask, ask. And by all means, after this tafsir is over, we can sit, I've got all the time, alhamdulillah, we can sit in and talk about whatever I said that, 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 that um, didn't, you didn't understand, didn't appreciate, or have a counter-argument for, I'm, I'm available. Right? I'm telling you right now, I'm available tonight, or any other night that you want to sit down. Come say, hey, I've, I heard your tafsir, I got these issues I want to discuss about. And inshallah, we'll sit down and talk about it. And I'll try my best to explain why I said what I said. But I always ask the females too. I said, you have to face the girls yourself. I want you to walk away confident from my class. So any type of objection that you have, you must ask. Don't just simply shake your head and say, okay, fine. 
So these are things that they said, yes, you know what? It's just become a cultural in our idea of hijab is something you just throw on the head and that's it. And to the extent if you try to cover yourself fully, you're, you are called as wanting to be too pious. Extreme, you know. What happened to you? You became Sufi and you became fundamentalist and God knows what. So I, I think a hijab issue, my dear brothers, honestly, um, we, have to, we have to speak about this. We have to speak about it at home. And I want to add one thing. Again, exposing your hair is haram, haram, haram. There is no two opinions about it. But what we'll see right now is all across America for the past decade also, unfortunately we'll have Muslim organizations who are, who are putting, whether from billboards to magazines to online social media, continuously to promote their programs, they'll have pictures of women with their hair uncovered. And I simply... Uh, I, I cannot uh, you know, say that in any school of thought there could be any scope of permissibility for this what happens in a room yeah, and even if it's impermissible that happens in the room keep it in the room but to take a picture of something which is absolutely haram and then use that for marketing purpose I cannot understand how that could be in any way shape or form permissible and we have to refrain from that so people may be mistaken we might be sinful to all my mothers and sisters who say oh I'm not wearing hijab May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm not by any means, I'm, Wallahi alazim, Allah is my witness, by no means I am <laughs> anywhere near perfect. I have, I'm filled with flaws. All of us are filled with flaws. I, mis- I make mistakes, you make mistakes, maybe the way we sin is different, but we all sin. I'm on my so-called journey as well. But being on my journey, I'm not gonna sit there and say, I have a right to commit haram. If I'm making a mistake, makru or leaving a sunnah, I have to acknowledge to say, I'm wrong, please make dua for me, inshallah I'll rectify this mistake. That's the attitude we all have to have. If not today, tomorrow. I'm going to try. I'm going to change. But let's not legitimize what wrong I'm involved in. That would be then the doors of Tawbah close. And the ability to repent and change are closed. When a person begins to legitimize that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, She came and just did, again, short, curt. She didn't say, I'm inviting you. No. Who am I to invite you? What's a girl doing inviting a guy? Inna abi. My father's inviting you. My father's inviting you. And I'll just make it very clear instead of giving you an opportunity to sit there and ask me questions, straight up, my father's inviting you, he wants to reward you for the fact that you helped me. That's it. So there's no reason for us to sit there and lengthen this conversation. And so alhamdulillah, they walked home. He shared with the father, Shuaib, what, why he ended up in Madi and how he ran away. He said, don't worry, you've come to the proper place. We'll stop over here, inshallah. Um, I guess so, inshallah. And so this is, uh, this is the idea of where they hire him. Um, and actually, let me just translate this. Let me just translate this. Because then the next week, we'll have a different speaker speaking, and then I don't want to yeah, make it easy for her. Um, one of the two women said, Ya Abati, O my father, istajiru, hire him. Indeed, the best man you could hire is the one like him, who is strong and trustworthy. These are two qualities that as men we have to have within ourselves. One is that be physically strong. Physically strong meaning to be able to do your work. Doesn't mean just six-pack. Whatever job you have on your table, physically, emotionally capable of doing your work. That's necessary. If you don't, say I don't. Don't take on something you can't do. Number two, Al-Ameen, you got to be trustworthy. You can't be cheating, uh, cutting corners. If any of us have an employee that has these two attributes, you've got the best employee you can imagine. The best sifa. May Allah make every one of us in our jobs Al-Qawi Al-Ameen. Say Ameen. Right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all physically, emotionally, spiritually strong to be able to handle what we've, what's on our table and then make us trustworthy that we, we don't cheat. So I, I feel like he was a good guy. Why? Because he, according to some narrations, he picked up 
the cover of the well, which it would take a whole group of men to pick up. He picked it up himself. And they saw he's very physically strong. Number two, Al-Amin, he's trustworthy. He did not mess around with us at all. He guarded his gaze, guarded his tongue. He did not indulge in any type of, uh, of move which could be rendered as scandalous. So this, they figured out he is Amin, trustworthy. Some say that the girls actually were alluding to the fact that he might be an appropriate spouse. But being a female daughter, Haya, again goes to the topic of Haya, would, it would seem inappropriate for a girl to tell her father that I, I like this guy. Again, people are gonna say, what? But that's the haya of a, of a female. The Prophet Wasallam's hadith speaks about, and the fiqh books, the fiqh books speak about, how when a female, what's up, the, the, uh, uh, what's that? Sukutuha, what's that? Um, in, uh, yeah, but was there any specific athar for that? About sukut being, female uh, del kalam being a sign of ridha? Is there a third for that or just in of books of fiqh? In the books of fiqh for sure, you know, it is the fact that uh, if a if female, at the time of marriage, if say, there's a proposal for you, the dad, mom asks, there's a proposal for you, and she simply co- stays quiet or smiles, it's a sign of her approval with that proposal. Have you heard of this? Yes? Right. What is that supposed to mean? This is yeah, any part of our law books, fiqh books, law books for a thousand years ago, written. The idea was that the female at such an important juncture of her life, marriage, but her own internal bashfulness would hold her back from saying, I like that guy. It's just not befitting for a girl to say, oh, I really like him, to her dad. So her smile or her quietness or silence is a sign of her being pleased. And if she cries uh, or, or show some other form of, 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 of being upset, then that's a sign of her refusing the proposal. Not to say you're not allowed to speak up, but I'm just trying to say where we've come from. Where this is actually written in our books, that this a silence would be, because she would be too bashful to speak. And you talk about the whole aspect of dating. right? Read the history of dating in this country. I mean, subhanAllah, there's such an inter, interconnection between Islamic teachings and the teachings of the earliest Americans, the Puritans, and, and those who were here before, and even, say, other conservative societies of this very country. So much yani overlap in terms of haya and bashfulness. So it is possible that she was, by saying hiring him, she meant to say, I want to get married. He said, no problem. He told the husband, Musa, I wish to marry you to one of these two daughters of mine. What do we learn from here? It's not against etiquette for a father-in-law to propose to a future son-in-law. Because in some societies, in Desi culture, maybe in Arab culture, whatever else, so oh my God, how you're the you're the you are the one who has ladki wale, na? You've got the girl. People gotta come propose to you. How can you go propose to a guy for your daughter? We learn from you, it's completely permissible. Whoever, just make the move. If you see something good, jump for it. Go for it. There's nothing, there's no reason. See, <laughs> the place to have haya, we don't have haya. And the place not to have haya, we have haya. You know what I mean? It's completely haya is misplaced. There's no sense of bashfulness here. Go, if you see a nice guy, say, hey, you know what? I got a daughter. I'm impressed with you. The way you pray, uh, the way you act, the way your characters. Uh, I've got a girl. I think let's, let's sit down and figure out if it would be a good match. I wish to marry you to one of these two daughters of mine. Provided you hire, you hire yourself out to me for eight years. This is called a dowry. Dowry of eight years. So he did a, he did a proposal. And then you got the dowry. فَإِذَا مَمْتَ عَشْرًا and if you should decide to complete 10 years, 
of working. فَمِنْ عِنْدِكَ That's from your own free will. But you need to do minimum eight. وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنَا شُقَّ عَلَيْكَ Nor do I desire to bring hardship upon you. سَتَجِدُرِي إِنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ You shall find me if God so wills to be of the righteous people. So many things we learn here. Number one, proposal took place. أُنْكِ حَكَ إِحْدَبْنُ I want to get married. Uh, number two, uh, the mahar, dowry is eight or ten years. And قَالَ ذَلِكَ بَيْنِيُ بَيْنِكَ This is قَالَ ذَلِكَ بَيْنِيُ وَبَيْنَكَ Moses said, this is agreed upon between me and you. This is the acceptance. قُبُول This is the acceptance. أَيَّمَا الْأَجَلَيْنِ قَضَيْتُ Whichever of the two terms I fulfill, فَلَا عُدْوَانَ عَلَيَّ I shall not come under any duress. You're not going to hold me accountable. If I do eight, don't say, oh, why did you do ten? I'll do eight or I do ten. Most of the taf- scholars of tafsir say he did actually ten. وَاللَّهُ عَلَى مَا نَقُولُ وَكِيلُ Who's our, who's, our, who's our witness? Allah is a guardian over all that we say. Wow. Allah is watching. If I don't fulfill the end of my deal, Allah is going to get me. If you don't fulfill your end of the deal, Allah is going to hold you accountable. That's how it should be. Um, one thing you hear here is that during the marriage process, try to make things easy. Do not make your son-in-law's life horrible, miserable. By saying, you have to dem- yeah, I'm going to demand 100,000. Uh, you know, that's the problem. That in, in many, many parts of the Muslim world, the dowry has been made so expensive that men gave up. They literally gave up getting married. And they say, we'll just leave, lead a life of, of haram. Because there's no way I can, I can have 150,000 dirhams and riyals or 200,000. How am I supposed to do that? How much taxi can I drive? You know? I've, I've myself spoken to taxi drivers overseas in the Middle East. And they say, this is crazy. There's no way I can handle this. So this is, our job should be, oh, we want to safeguard our daughter or our son and someone else's daughter and someone else's son from sin. Bas. Every, someone else's daughter is my daughter. Someone else's son is my son. Let's treat other people's children like your own children. Do not put them into hardship. Number two is make marriage easy. Because not just the, not just the mahar part, but additionally all the graduation from this program, that program, PhD, MD, JD, they should have this much bank account, all that stuff. By by subhanallah putting all these conditions unfortunately the children end up committing so many sins on the way that mom and dad have absolutely no knowledge about I ask Allah to waken the parents up because that's what they're doing by delaying the marriage they're forcing unfortunately their children into undue hardship of sin and of course most of us here have no idea what your children are up to honestly I'm just being, I'm being very honest all those kids who come and speak to me their dads don't know that they come and speak to me or they're you know they don't so you might be, you have no idea what your children are going through. You, you're just on this, under this false presumption, everything's fine. He's on the end, he's in East Coast, and he's on his sixth year of university, and he's probably doing well. No, for all I can say, he's probably not doing well. Because out there, it's hell. It's such a, a, surrounded by sin, 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 sin. And now a person says, no, you can't get married until eight years, 10 years, 12 years. The person says, forget it. You know what? This is, this is hopeless. And I'm already hopeless, then I might as well sin left and right. So I implore the moms and dads to make marriage easy for their children. And I, I implore the kids also to start speaking about it at home and to say, I, I refuse to live a life of sin. I refuse. Wallahi, I'm not going to live a life of sin. And that's what you're forcing me to do. So does, that, so does that mean no financial responsibility? No. That means I will. I will go and work wherever it needs to be to provide myself. You can get married and the husband lives in his house, the wife lives in her house, but you're married. That's fine. It's not against the Sharia to do that. She can continue her college, he's continuing her college, she can continue whatever the case may be, that's fine. But at least let's make the nikah simple and easy. Uh, I ask Allah that He grant myself and all of us the deep understanding of all the topics that we covered today. And that He allows us to, uh, if, it was, if it was correct, 
allow us to truly embody it. If mistakes were made, may Allah forgive us and allow us to have a proper understanding. And then number two, may Allah make every one of us a propagator of the truth. May He allow us to uh, live, uh, keep our foundations at our home uh, on, on the foundations of the sunnah. And no matter what direction the world may go, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to remain steadfast in the sunnah, even if the number of people following the sunnah may decrease day by day. May Allah never allow us to become disheartened by the, how few the people are who are following the sunnah. I mean, Rabbil Alameen. Since it's quite late, we won't do any Q&A today, but we'll do, complete with a dhikr and dua. Quickly, I want to mention here, inshallah, this Saturday, the winter intensive will begin. I encourage all of you to please, please join us. We have lots of outstanding topics. This year is called the uh, Contemporary Fiqh. And for those of you who may not realize also, we have four parallel sessions, ages 7 to 12, um, uh, 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 and boys, and ages... Uh, let me just pull it up here. It's not on the fly, unfortunately not here, but it's on the TV screen outside. Boys 7 to 10, boy, and then youth 11 to 14. Similarly, girls 7 to 10, and girls 11 to 14. For boys and girls, all of it, the classes, mashallah, are from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Mon- Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Can you imagine? You can come with your whole family. Little ones, there's older ones, yourself. It's such an amazing program. We have, we've got games, activities, we'll do workshop. I love my parents' workshop. Allah is my creator workshop. Story, of, uh, story time, the life of Nuh one day, life of Muhammad sallallahu one day. Uh, who are my friends' workshop. Uh, recitation explanation of Ayatul Kursi, recitation of explaining Surah Al Duha for the this, um, Khalid and Walid, lessons in leadership and bravery, Bilal ibn Bi Rawaha, the voice of faith and equality, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, the lion of Islam, mashallah. Right? These are for the older boys and for the girls. You have conduct with the creation, hijab workshop. I love my parents' workshop for the girls. Keys to Paradise Part 1, Keys to Paradise Part 2. Story time, the life of Fatima, the life of Aisha, radiallahu anha. Muslima identity, the life of Khadija, uh, do's and don'ts of salah. Importance of salah, hijab makeup workshop, subhanAllah. Taqwa of our beloved companionship, hijab hands on, navigating the horizons of halal and haram, nourishing the soul with halal, my hijab, my crown, veiled verses, Quranic evidence for hijab. Right? So these are things that are happening right here at Darussalam this weekend. Please join us, inshallah, with your kids Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And for the adults, you'll see navigating bid'ah versus sunnah. Takfir, making someone else a kafir, how far is it too far? Um, parameters of faith, nourishing your body with halal, zabiha and halal, machine slaughter, hand slaughter, stunning, uh, a certification, uh, food of the people of the book, so much confusion about all of that stuff. Um, the United Eid, what are the challenges in America to have one Eid? And what are the solutions for it? How do we come over, overcome differences in Muslims in each masjid? Um, Islam in the workplace and medicine as a case study. How to bring Islam into the workplace. Sharia compliant earning, financing, and investing. Riba in contemporary times, halal or haram, etc. Every day I'll be speaking after Fajr on, on various spiritual issues as well. So uh, this is going to happen this Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you, inshallah, are planning to attend? Can I see a show of hands? MashaAllah. Did you all register? All right. You did? Some of you did? Please. Uh, I mean, honestly, we have to prepare for food also. We have lunch that's going to be served here. Uh, we have to prepare for teachers too. I am very sad to share with you that some of the youth classes got one child or two kids. And so now we're thinking, should we cancel it? It's three days left. So uh, I don't know. I promise you, I don't know which other place has so much effort done. And they, this has all been curated based on the demand of the community. So it really breaks my heart when we put so much effort into it and people don't show up. So all of you who are listening online from your home, whichever place you are in, please, I encourage you to please fly out 
or drive out to Chicago, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you've got two Muslim-owned hotels across the street. Come with your family, come with your cousins, invite your family, have a family get-together in Chicago. It's central for the whole America. And, and attend, attend the program. And inshallah, I promise you, it will be extremely, extremely beneficial for, um, for all of you. And if you have any suggestions, um, you know, uh, what you call... Um, uh, this, this is something, alhamdulillah, that, um, that, will be, that you'll find to be extremely beneficial. And join us on outside. Um, if you're, if, okay. Number two, if, you, if you're here first time, please scan the Masjid Events group. That's where the schedule is going to be shared. Right? That's where the schedule is going to be shared. If you're not, if you're a first time attending Dar es Salaam's Tafsir and you're not in the events group, take a moment to take a picture of the events group, inshallah. And so the detailed youth schedule that I just spoke about, we will share it, inshallah. Uh, over there. We have 2024 calendars available. On the way out, please pick up a calendar. If you could help out with the uh, printing cost, we would encourage you to please, whatever you can donate, $10, $100, it's cost quite a bit, quite a bit amount of money and it's all ad-free. So uh, it's beautiful. And it's got the entire Islamic calendar, Gregorian calendar, and all the events of the entire year are already there. For next year's CETA conference, next year's summer intensive, next year's no-tech retreat, everything is already, alhamdulillah, inside the calendar. So pick it up on the way out, inshallah. Let's come close, please, for a few minutes. Come closer. Let's do dhikr, inshallah. When we do, when we do dhikr of la ilaha illallah, let's focus on uh, all the false gods and the false ambitions and the false love being removed from our heart. And only the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, um, you know, is entering our home. I'm sorry, entering our, our, entering our, the, our heart. And that's what we're going to do with la ilaha illallah. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just conclude with that. Inshallah. So we can close our eyes to help with our concentration and in an audible tone, we can recite. And focus on la ilaha. It's like a sword breaking down all the false idols. Illallah and bringing Allah into our heart. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah La ilaha illallah La ilaha illallah La ilaha illallah لا إله إلا الله 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 
اللهم انت السلام ونك السلام وطوارتي هذا الجلال والكرام اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك أنتك معثنيت على نفسك اللهم يا حي يا قيوم يا أحد الصمد الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كوفا أحد اللهم يا حنان يا منان يا بديع السماوات والأرض يا ذا الجلال والكرام والعزة التي لا ترام اللهم إنا نسألك التقوى والتقاء والعفاف والغناء اللهم إنا نسأل إنك عفو كريم تحب العفو فعفو عنا اللهم رحمتك نرجو فلا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين اللهم لا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين اللهم إنا نعودك من شر أنفسنا اللهم إنا نعودك من شر ذنوبنا اللهم إنا نعودك من شر الشيطان وشركه اللهم إنا نعودك من شر إبليس وجنوده اللهم إنا نعودك من إبليس وجنوده اللهم إنا نعودك من شر أنفسنا اللهم إنا نعودك من شر ذنوبنا اللهم اللهم يا حي يا قيوم طهر قلوبنا من النفاق وأعمالنا من الرياء وألسنتنا من الكذب وأعيننا من الخيانة فإنك تعلم خائنة الأعين وما تخف الصدور اللهم ربنا لا تزق قلوبنا بعد إذ هجيتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب اللهم ربنا أفرغ علينا الصبر وتوفنا مسلمين اللهم ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين وجعلنا المتقين إماما اللهم يا حي يا قيوم يا حي يا قيوم من أراد بالإسلام والمسلمين خيرا فوفقوا لكل خير ومن أراد بالإسلام والمسلمين شرا فجعل كيده في نحره اللهم نجعلك في نحورهم ونعوذ من شرورهم اللهم نجعلك في نحورهم ونعوذ من شرورهم اللهم يا حي يا قيوم ارحمنا بترك المعاصي أبدا ما بقيتنا ارحمنا بترك المعاصي أبدا ما بقيتنا ارحمنا بترك المعاصي أبدا ما اللهم جنبنا الفواحش ما ظهر منها وما بطن اللهم رب ارحمهما كما ربيني صغيرا اللهم رب ارحمهما كما ربيني صغيرا اللهم رب ارحمهما كما ربيني صغيرا اللهم الف بين قلوبنا واصلح ذات بيننا وانصرنا على من عادانا وعاد الاسلام والمسلمين اللهم اعز الاسلام والمسلمين واحفظ الاسلام والمسلمين وانصر الاسلام والمسلمين وانصر من نصر دين محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وجعل منهم اللهم انصر اخواننا المستضعفين في فلسطين اللهم انصر اخواننا المستضعفين في فلسطين اللهم انصر اخواننا المستضعفين في فلسطين وفي جميع انحاء العالم اللهم حرر المسجد الاقصى اللهم محفظ بلاد الحرمين الشريفين اللهم محفظ بالحرمين الشريفين اللهم محفظ الحرمين الشريفين واحفظ مسجد الاقصى اللهم يا حي يا قيوم اللهم يا حي يا قيوم إنا نسألك التقوى والتقاء والعفاف والغنى Oh Allah we ask you to accept our gathering Oh Allah accept our, uh, our, our dhikr accept our dua accept our sharing of, of, of thoughts and, and, and sharing of knowledge Oh Allah whatever we have shared Oh Allah make it easy for the speaker and the listeners and all those who this voice reaches to put it into practice the good of what we share Oh Allah we ask you Allah to grant all of us the foresight the sixth sense to be able to distinguish right from wrong and to be able to follow the right and uphold the truth and to shun the falsehood and speak against the falsehood. Oh Allah, make it easy for all of us to be able to remove the, and to have the fog from our minds and our, in front of our eyes, to be, or veils to be removed. For us to be able to see, Ya Allah, truth from falsehood, no matter how muggy it may be outside. Oh Allah, oh Allah, save us from having ears, uh, our ears, Ya Allah, having corks placed in our ears, from having veils placed over our, our hearts, from having veils placed over our eyes. Oh Allah, 
from having our minds, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, blocked. Oh Allah, allow us to be able to walk away and free ourselves away from the temptations of our lower self. Oh Allah, allow us to be able to walk away from the temptations and the whispers of shaitan and the devil. Oh Allah, grant all of our minds, Ya Allah, freedom and allow us to enter your servitude and slavery. Grant our hearts freedom and allow us to enter, allow it to enter the servitude in, in, of yours. Oh Allah, we ask you to allow us all to embrace the life of Rasulullah in every sense of, of, of the word. Oh Allah, we ask you to allow the sunnah of the Prophet and the earliest generation of Sahaba to become alive within our homes. Oh Allah, allow all of our interactions and relationships in the home to become a reflection of the character that the Prophet taught us, Ya Allah. Allow all of the men to become the most amazing, caring, loving husbands, and the most caring, caring, loving fathers and sons, O oh Allah, and caretakers, and allow the women, Ya Allah, to become the most amazing, caring, loving daughters and sisters and wives and mothers, O oh Allah, allow our relationships between parents and children, between spouses, between siblings, all to improve, O oh Allah, allow our relationships outside of the home to be based on the deen, O oh Allah, allow us to be sincere in our love for each other, O oh Allah, we ask you, Allah, in every moment of our life, if our hand goes towards that which is wrong, if our walk a feet walk towards that which is wrong hold us and allow us to be frozen our footsteps allow us to ya Allah not make one step towards your disobedience allow every step of ours to be only towards your obedience and if we choose to turn our back and go towards your disobedience turn us around ya Allah grab us by our forelock grab us and bring us back towards the deen bring us back to the masjid bring us back towards the righteousness oh Allah save us from committing any such sin which will make us fall from your esteem which make us, which would make us lose ya Allah uh, which make us would make us be unworthy of your mercy ya Allah protect us from any such sin which would make us, Ya Allah, deprived of your mercy. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we are definitely every one of us as sinners. But we, Allah, we regard ourselves to be weak sinners. We, Allah, we do not give false excuses for our sinning. O oh Allah, save us from ever, ever giving any sort of excuse for our sins. O oh Allah, allow us always to be from amongst those who outright acknowledge our mistakes, outright acknowledge our sins, and then beg you for forgiveness and beg you for assistance and beg you for help. O oh Allah, we ask you to strengthen our relationship with you in the hours of the night. O oh Allah, make it easy for myself and all of us here to spend some time every single night beseeching you, begging you, and talking to you, and, and sharing our, our thoughts, and sharing our, our wishes and desires with you. And Ya Allah, pouring our hearts out in front of you. Ya Allah, make it easy for every one of us to be able to hold the Qur'an every single day. And allow us to read a portion of the Qur'an every single day. Allow every one of us to dedicate some time to take your name. Ya Allah, quietly, with sincerity, allow our hearts and our minds to be focused as we, as we take your name. Oh Allah, where we ask you allow our tongues to be moist with your remembrance allow our eyes to be moist with your remembrance allow our hearts to be throbbing with your remembrance oh Allah we ask you Allah whoever has done us any favor repay them back in the best possible manner in the highest possible manner especially our parents our teachers and our well-wishers ya Allah oh Allah whoever we have wronged oh Allah we ask you to not only ya Allah forgive them on our behalf but reward them in such a manner that they will not hold us accountable on the day of judgment oh Allah we ask you Allah forgiveness from every major or minor sin we have done knowingly or unknowingly collectively or individually the past present or we had intended for the future oh Allah we ask you to open up the doors of knowledge for every one of us allow us all to become students of knowledge for the rest of our life allow our loved ones our children to become students of knowledge oh Allah all those who are unmarried allow them to find the very best and righteous of spouses oh Allah those who are previously married allow them to find the very best of spouses oh Allah oh close the doors of zina and haram upon the community open up the doors of halal ya Allah close the doors of fornication and open up the doors of marriage for us ya Allah oh Allah allow our community and our children especially to be able to walk away from addictions of, 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 of drugs ya Allah <coughs> 
<coughs> of, of marijuana, of e-cigarettes, of vapes, and all the other types of drugs that are coming into our communities. Oh Allah, we ask you to grant our children and our youth, Ya Allah, the, the willpower to be able to stay away from this, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, grant all our adults as well as our youth to be able to have the willpower to be able to not misuse their cell phones and the internet in a manner that will destroy this world and the hereafter for them, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, allow us parents to become the very best caring, loving and uh, parents, Ya Allah, who know what the trials and tribulations are of the world today and who take steps to ensure that their children are protected from that, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we are going to do our effort. Ya Allah, we ask you to accept that effort. Put, eff- put effect in, those, in that effort. Put effect in that effort, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you to protect them. this masjid, this madrasa, the seminary, the entire property and all the staff, the students, the t- musallis, the, the, those who attend our programs, those who listen online, the well-wishers, the donors, the patrons across the globe, our teachers and all those who pray for this place. Oh Allah, we ask you to preserve and protect their iman, preserve and protect their health and wealth and their children and their homes and their businesses. And oh Allah, Allow their affiliation to this place to become a means of their salvation. And allow this, sor- this place to become a source of khair and goodness for across the, for, for, for the entire globe. O Allah, allow the nur that came out of the Masjid of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a similar nur to come from here, to, to emanate from here across the globe and allow it to usher in an era of guidance and righteousness across the globe, Ya Allah. O Allah, whatever issues this institution or the Masjid or the Madrasa or the people connected with it are going through physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, financially, Ya Allah, we ask you to allow those situations to be resolved and those issues to be resolved and those difficulties to be resolved. All those who have asked us to pray for them. One of our students whose grandmother is very sick and among uh, the one of our community members whose who's chi- five-year-old is going through surgery and many, many other dua requests that we are unaware of. We ask you Allah to grant shifa to all those who are sick. Grant shifa to all those who are sick. Allah forgiveness to all those who have passed away and our beloved brothers and sisters, especially in Palestine at the moment, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, we ask you to accept their martyrdom. Grant them resilience and strength and through their duas and crying, O Allah, grant them, the, uh, the, grant them your assistance, Ya Allah, and grant, grant us the ability to wake up from our slumber of, ya Allah, of heedlessness ya Allah through their, through their dua and through their crying and through their pain ya Allah bring an awakening within all of us as well ya Allah oh Allah allow this upcoming winter intensive to be extremely beneficial ya Allah allow hundreds of people to benefit from it and allow every single one of them to walk away inspired filled with knowledge and filled with ya Allah uh, ya dedication to the deen and allow them to go and do great work in their own communities oh Allah whatever dua any one of us is expecting to be made for them ya Allah we ask you to grant each and every one of those brothers and sisters who are expecting a dua more more than they expect, more than they expect, Ya Allah, and fulfill all of our needs of this world, the grave, and the hereafter. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzat, Ya Masifun, wa salamun ala mursaleen, walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ameen, wa jazakumullah khaira, wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah, I'll be going for Umrah next week, next Tuesday, so inshallah, we'll be here covering for the next two weeks, I'll be traveling. Please make dua for a successful and accepted Umrah. We're making dua for all of you as well. And inshallah, please continue to attend tafsir, inshallah, uh, for the next two weeks as well. Jazakumullah khaira.